We start tonight with the Chinese Communist Party celebrating 100 years of its founding on Thursday in a ceremony at Tiananmen Square. During his keynote address, CCP General Secretary Xi Jinping again pledged to achieve reunification and to solve the Taiwan question once and for all. Commentators say that Xi delivered a milder version of past rhetoric on the Taiwan issue, notably that he left out threats of reunification by force. Fifteen J-20 fighter jets soar across the sky in formation. On Thursday, the CCP kicked off its centenary celebrations with an air show. Z-10 helicopters form the number 100. They're followed by a formation of Chengdu J-10 in the shape of the number 71, commemorating 71 years since the establishment of the People's Republic of China. This show of military might was inspected by CCP General Xi from the Forbidden City's Tiananmen Gate. After applauding throughout the display, Xi delivered a keynote in which he discussed the Taiwan question. Resolving the Taiwan question and realizing China's complete reunification is a historic mission and an unshakable commitment of the Communist Party of China. It is also a shared aspiration of all the sons and daughters of the Chinese nation. We will uphold the One China principle and the 1992 consensus and advance peaceful national reunification. Turning to the issue of unification, Xi struck a belligerent tone. We must take resolute action to utterly defeat any attempt toward Taiwan independence. No one should underestimate the resolve, the will and the ability of the Chinese people to defend their national sovereignty and territorial integrity. Even before Xi finished speaking, the audience broke into a 23-second applause. A Taiwan scholar says it was all for show. I think all it is, is rhetoric for pumping oneself up. Over this past year or so, there's been more external pressure on China and global tides are turning. So if Xi Jinping tries to pull any new tricks, that could result in even more severe consequences. So the speech today was noticeably more conservative. Taiwan's Mainland Affairs Council responded with a statement, saying that the 23 million Taiwanese had long rejected the CCP's One China Principle and the 1992 consensus. The council called on Beijing to face up to the reality of the Taiwan Strait. It said that a Abandoning attempts to force a political framework on Taiwan and ceasing military intimidation would be the only way for China to progress cross-strait relations. The DPP also responded, saying Xi has made it clear that he's willing to threaten Taiwan and destroy cross-strait peace in order to achieve a bright future for national rejuvenation. The DPP said the Taiwanese people cannot accept Xi's vision. The party called on the CCP to cease its oppression of Taiwan and to not underestimate the resolve of the Taiwanese people to defend their freedom democracy and national sovereignty. Besides promising to resolve the Taiwan question, Xi Jinping also touted China's role in preserving world peace during his keynote address at the CCP's centenary. But according to a new Pew Research Center survey of 17 advanced economies, global trust in China's president is at just 20%. He himself knows that the world sees right through his wolf warrior diplomacy, which he's exercised aggressively. The entire world hates him. Through the control of public opinion, he maintains his current grip on political power. But democratic countries of the world have united to counter the expansion of Chinese hegemony. 
This is a growing development that cannot be reversed. 69% of poll respondents said they saw China in an unfavorable light. The percentage of people with a negative outlook was highest in Japan at 88% and in Sweden at 80%. In Taiwan, 69% saw China unfavorably. Of all the countries surveyed, Singapore at 34% had the most favorable view of Beijing. A handful of Taiwan's political figures have congratulated China's ruling party as it celebrated its founding on Thursday. According to Chinese state media, the congratulations came from figures like former KMT chairpersons Lian Zhang and Hong Shouzhu, as well as James Sung of the People First Party. KMT chairman Johnny Chang said the messages were sent in a personal capacity. The DPP condemned the KMT and said its good wishes sent the wrong signals to Beijing. Ahead of the CCP's 100th anniversary celebration, a member of the KMT Central Standing Committee proposed that the KMT send a message of congratulations. The party decided against it, on grounds that there was no precedent. Between our two parties, there is no custom of sending congratulatory messages on the occasion of party anniversaries. According to a report by Chinese state media Xinhua News Agency, former KMT chairman Lian sent his congratulations. The message read, A hundred years since the founding and 72 years since taking the reins of mainland China's construction. The Chinese Communist Party has extended the era of the Chinese revival to a record 5,000 years. Another former KMT chair, Hong, also sent her congratulations. She wrote, The great rejuvenation of the Chinese nation is a historic inevitability. Let us strive our utmost for unification. Song of the People First Party said, China's revival holds the entire world wrapped. Unsurprisingly, new party chairman Wu Chengdian urged unification in his congratulatory message. <laughs> Whether it's former chairperson Hong or former chairperson Lian, I believe that they are, in a personal capacity, concerned about the current state of cross-strait affairs. Pan-Green lawmakers blasted the KMT for sending the wrong message to Beijing, a symbolic trampling of democracy and freedom. It's very regrettable that Hong Xiaoju or Lian Zhan or even James Song are sending congratulatory messages that completely echo the nationalism on the other side of the strait. Messages that don't mention Taiwan's proudest, most cherished democracy. Not only are these messages an insult to Taiwan, they also trample on and humiliate the people of Hong Kong. Isn't it ridiculous and absurd for the chairman, past and present of a party in a democratic country to send congratulations to the CCP? What's more, we see that the CCP and KMT's so-called 1992 consensus has been unilaterally changed to one country, two systems. Isn't it inappropriate to issue such a congratulatory message at this time? We have to express our disagreement with this. In sending these congratulatory messages, you look like you're wagging your tail and begging for a pat. You seem rather happy in your own degeneration. The most terrifying thing is that you're giving the wrong signals to China. You're indicating that all Taiwanese dream of cross-strait unification. That's completely contrary to public opinion. Pan-Green lawmakers called on the KMT's chairman to address the CCP's vision of the 1992 consensus, taking a public stance on the one country, two systems framework. Former President Ma Ying-jeou has weighed in on Taiwan's vaccination campaign, and he's scathing. On Facebook, the ex-president blasted the Tsai administration for incompetence and the failure to get enough vaccines, despite a sky-high budget. Experts have stepped out to defend the government. 
National Taiwan Normal University politics professor Fan Shiping said Taiwan's vaccine shortfall traces back to intervention by Beijing. On social media, former President Ma blasted the government for Taiwan's latest Bloomberg COVID resilience ranking. Ma said that Taiwan's vaccination rate of 8.25% was far below that of other advanced economies. He wrote, the people of Taiwan aren't getting vaccines. Where did the 34 billion NT vaccine budget go? The White House spokesman has publicly stated that it believes Taiwan's vaccine procurement efforts are being intercepted by other countries. Here, other countries refers to China. Let's be honest when comparing ourselves to other countries. For one, there is a global vaccine shortage that's not just affecting Taiwan. Then there is also the issue of Taiwan's biggest enemy. That is, China is always behind us, trying to trip us up. At this point in time, hopping on about Taiwan doesn't have vaccines is meaningless, I think. The expert said that the vaccine shortage was a global issue and not exclusive to Taiwan, adding that the U.S. had noticed foreign obstruction of Taiwan's vaccine procurement. Ma also took issue with Taiwan's domestically developed vaccines. He said that almost half the members of Taiwan's vaccine review committee had been replaced with new members. He denounced fake news that Taiwan's government planned to donate domestic vaccines to foreign countries. He said the misinformation triggered a stock market frenzy and that the Financial Supervisory Commission should launch an investigation into securities fraud. This procurement was negotiated by the government of Paraguay and the vaccine developer. The government of Taiwan did not intervene and did not offer funds for it. The Ministry of Foreign Affairs had explained as much, but the words were twisted intentionally by some to make the claim that the government was manipulating the stock market. Such claims are not just completely unfounded, they also misinterpret the government's efforts to help Taiwan firms expand into foreign markets. The Ministry of Foreign Affairs finds this regrettable. Be it Medigen Biologics or United Biomedical, the Financial Supervisory Commission or the relevant prosecutorial units have already looked into the issue. During the Ma presidency, Adamune was also developing vaccines, so Ma knows about the difficulties that local firms have in developing vaccines. You yourself have lived through something like this and now you're making all these groundless accusations that help these rumors grow. It's extremely inappropriate. Taiwan's quest for vaccines has become increasingly politicized. This development was discussed in an opinion piece by veteran Reuters journalist Phil Smith. Smith says he finds embarrassing the anti-government attacks and criticism coming from opposition parties. He said they've claimed that AstraZeneca vaccines are dangerous, that the government paid too much for vaccines, and that vaccines should have been purchased sooner. He criticized the narratives as being unhelpful, and he said he wondered whether critics could provide any sort of constructive criticism. He said that people who repeated these arguments clearly did not see themselves as part of the democratic process. Instead, he said, their meaningless comments are just attempts to earn political clout. Guam has announced that starting July 4th, foreign visitors can skip the three-day quarantine if they have a negative PCR COVID test from the past three days. This means that vaccine tourists can embark on their tropical vacation right after getting off the plane. The policy comes as the U.S. Territory seeks to attract international visitors to revive its tourism industry. 
Guam had launched its vaccination and vacation program on June 22nd. Right at the outset, there was tremendous interest from Taiwan nationals. However, travel bookings were swiftly cancelled when Taiwan suspended its home quarantine option for returning travellers. But with Guam's decision to lift quarantine requirements, demand is staging a comeback. Travel agencies report a surge in vacation bookings since Guam's announcement on Wednesday. Starting Friday, all international arrivals to Taiwan will be screened with two PCR tests and one rapid test. They will receive a PCR test upon arrival and another right before the end of 14-day quarantine. They'll also receive one antigen rapid test between day 10 and 12 of their quarantine. The policy is aimed at blocking the entry of the highly contagious Delta variant. Let's hear from the health minister. 好,大概在重點高風險的國家,就以前我們常常講的專案 for arrivals from high-risk countries, the special policy we mentioned frequently in the past is they have to go to a centralized quarantine facility for a PCR test, and they have to receive a PCR test before leaving quarantine. Now we are enhancing their screening with one rapid test between day 10 and 12 of their quarantine. As for arrivals from other countries, they'll need to get a PCR test upon landing in the airport. Then, during the 14-day quarantine, they'll get a rapid test between day 10 and day 12. They'll also be administered another PCR test before the end of quarantine. Samples from arrivals that test positive will be sent for genetic sequencing. Also on Thursday, the Central Epidemic Command Center announced 47 local COVID infections and 13 deaths. No new cases were detected in connection with the Delta cluster infection in Pingdong. The CECC also reported that the rate of positive COVID tests at screening centers has dropped to 0.1%. The Delta COVID variant has been making headlines globally as countries adjust their policies to fight this emerging viral strain. Why is it so dangerous and which vaccines are proven to work against it? Formosa News reporter Stephanie Yang speaks to a virologist to get answers. Taiwan reported its first local cases of the Delta variant last week in Pingdong County. Central and local governments went on red alert, ramping up testing and vaccination at the outbreak's epicenter. Virologist Shi Xingru, director of Tsanggeng University Emerging Viral Infections Director, says that Delta can spread fast if it's allowed to take hold of a community. Based on the current available data, the variant is 60% more transmissible than the alpha strain first detected in the UK. According to the UK report, it becomes 60% more uh, in comparison of uh, UK variant in terms of transmissibility. And more deadly, it's not clear yet, but according to some data from Singapore, uh, the need of uh, oxygen mask and also the rate to ICU uh, become higher, so indicating it may be a more severe, more virulent strain. As far as symptoms go, what are the differences between the Alpha variant and the Delta variant? She says they're similar in that they both cause respiratory symptoms. She says the main difference between the strains is that Delta infects young adults and children more easily. Uh, it seems not too much difference for me. All are respiratory tract infection symptoms. For example, the fever, sore throat, uh, runny nose, pneumonia. But uh, I, I think younger people uh, got infected um, because of our alpha variant 
not so many young people got infected, but uh, for the Delta, more younger people and even children got infected. Are the vaccines available in Taiwan able to fend off the Delta strain? For AstraZeneca, there is a report in UK, in Scotland actually, they compare um, BNT and uh, AZ vaccines. And it seems that um, the vaccine efficacy dropped from 92% to 79% for BNT vaccine and 73% to 60% for AZ vaccine. And uh, if you got two shots, it would have a better protection. But uh, um, even though the BNT vaccine seems the uh, protection efficacy is higher than AstraZeneca vaccine. But in terms of um, to protect hospitalization, both of them are very good and over 90%. Over the past weeks, the number of COVID-19 cases in Taiwan has slowly tapered off. The virologist says it's clear that Taiwan is bringing the outbreak under control, but the risk of another flare-up remains. Well controlled? Yes, I think that uh, it's under control so far in Taiwan because there are only very, very few uh, cases of Delta variants. And um, I believe early detection is very important. Yeah, if we can detect it earlier and um, so we can um, contain it. So I would suggest, strongly suggest people, when you, uh, whenever you got some symptom for respiratory tract infection, such as sore throat or running nose or fever, just go to for PCR test. I think get vaccination is very important, but um, it seems not so easy. We get a sufficient amount of vaccine so far. So before reach the herd immunity, I think uh, early detection is very important. Uh, and also, of course, we should wear a mask, washing hands and social distance. She urges the public to get tested for COVID if they have symptoms and to continue to social distance, wear a mask and wash their hands. For most news, Stephanie Yang, Chen Bohan in Taipei. A farmer in Miaoli has grown a group of swans in his fields. Well, not exactly flesh and blood swans. Xu Tang Hao's swans are actually white pumpkins. Through crossbreeding, he was able to accentuate their swan-like appearance, ending up with vegetables more graceful than the finest sculpture. Fold back the cover and you find a secret pumpkin kindergarten. Each is vying to be the biggest and most beautiful. Around these parts, Xu is known as the Pumpkin King. The precious pumpkins have been his focus throughout the pandemic. This golden specimen is bigger than a chair. This green variety is very rare. But his greatest delight is this series of swan pumpkins, with their elegant outstretched necks and nascent wings. The ethereal vegetables have not been carved or painted. They grew like this. Both the white swan pumpkins and the green are an art to cultivate. Xu used selective breeding to develop more lifelike wings. It was something like this color at first, and there were no wings yet. So we crossbred it with this other variety, and the wings became more visible, and this swan-like image appeared. Pumpkins aren't a water-intensive species, says Xu. As Taiwan suffered from an intense drought this year, he took in a big crop of the sweet vegetable. But it's his baby swans that are the biggest surprise and delight of the summer.